Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Has God failed you? Ladies and gentlemen, have you expected God to do something and he didn't do it? I mean, aren't there scriptures that say, if you have enough faith, you can move mountains. And you've had enough faith and mountains have not been moved. Doesn't the scripture say that if you pray, a man will be healed if he's sick? Well, you've prayed, the man was not healed, he's still sick. Is the Bible wrong? Can we really trust the Bible? Why won't God answer you? Why have you suffered through so much pain in your life? If God is real, why doesn't he end it? And how can you find faith when you're not even sure that the God you're praying to is real? Are your prayers just bouncing off the ceiling? Are you being duped? Well, my friend, Dr. Michael Brown has written another fabulous book called Has God Failed You? Finding Faith When You're Not Even Sure God Is Real. It's brand new. I read it this morning. It's a great read. It's an easy read. And uh, as you know, Dr. Brown has written over 40 books. He's written commentaries on the Bible. He has written, he's written the, the best series of books on Old Testament prophecy. He has written books on politics. He's written books on theology. He's written books on the LGBTQ issue. And he writes about a column almost every day over there at stream.org. He's got his own radio program, Line of Fire. And he is just a wonderful brother in Christ and a wonderful warrior for Christ. Mike, it's always great having you on. How are you? Great to be with you, Frank. And boy, you really posed the questions well. Those were making me nervous hearing those questions. <laughs> well, but you that, got to answer real <laughs> Yeah, that, that's why I was getting nervous. But no, really, <laughs> seriously, that, that's why I wrote the book, because this is real life. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of in a perfect storm today of, of people questioning God, people falling away from the faith. And often church is the last place we can talk about it. So we, we've got to, yeah. we got to ask the difficult questions as you've been doing for decades so well, ask the difficult questions and come up with solid answers. Well, Mike, um, you, write a, you write a lot. I don't know how you do it. And you're doing radio every day and you're, you're teaching on Sundays. I mean, you are, there must be like four or five Michael Browns out there to do what you do. You're doing so much. Why this book? Why did this book uh, uh, come out when it did. Why did you feel like I got to write a book about doubt? Because part of it's about doubt. Part of it's about, you know, why yeah. hasn't God done what I think he should have done? And he seems to have promised to do and he hasn't done. Even the title has God failed you is, is kind of a bold title because we would agree that if the God we believe in exists, then as the old hymn goes, he can do anything but fail. But mm. many people feel as if he has failed them. That God that they trusted, they feel as if he's failed. So initially, one of my publishers wrote to me and said, would you consider writing a book on what Jesus taught about the, the, the great falling away? Or are we in that time period now? And the more I leaned into it, I said, listen, we are definitely in a period of real apostasy mm-hmm. where, where many public Christians are saying they no longer believe from professors to pastors, you know, but, but people with, with high profiles saying they no longer believe. 
we've had 15 plus years of the objections of the new atheists kind of trickling their way down to the larger society. We've had moral scandals with church leaders. We've had the continual bombardment of the society telling us we're a bunch of bigots and homophobes. And it's kind of created this perfect storm where a lot of people are really hurting, plus just the ongoing reality of the struggle of faith that many have, and then a wrong theology that basically says, just push a button, you'll be healthy and wealthy for life in Jesus. All these things coming together have really created a, a crisis of faith. And, and I felt I had to write this book, but Frank, to be honest, you mentioned all the books I've written. You know, if I ask you, hey, talk to me about I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, you can do that in your sleep. You'll debate mm -hmm. anybody on that <laughs> anytime. The same with me in certain subjects, but coming to this, I was really on my knees saying, God, what right do I have to address these things? And, and, and the mother that prayed for, for the healing of her child with leukemia and that child died, what right do I have to address these people? So I felt it was really sacred ground. And I really struggled to do my best to, to present the arguments, to present the pain in a real way. So people would say, okay, you do understand. And then this way I can give them God's answers. Mike, let me just start in the deep end of the pool, because you address this kind of thing in the book. Again, the book is called Has God Failed You? by uh, Dr. Michael Brown. He's my guest today. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive right into to, uh, Mark chapter uh, 11. And I, I, I know we, don't, we should get context here, but you can set the context after I read it. Here's what, here's what Jesus says. He says, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe and you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against your, anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Well, this verse has caused some people to go, this really seems like a blank check to answer prayer, Mike. I don't doubt. I pray over and over again. It's not done. How do you respond? I respond that there is a tremendous encouragement to faith and God works miracles, but we must read the rest of the Bible. Mm -hmm. We must read where Jesus tells us in John 15 that it's only if we remain united with him and his words united in our hearts that what we pray then is according to the will of the Father or 1 John 5 that tells us that if we ask according to his will, he hears us. We have to read Luke, the 18th chapter, where Jesus gives his disciples a parable to teach them they should always pray and not faint and not lose heart, because sometimes it will appear as if God is indifferent, as if God doesn't care about them. We have to read the Psalms where the psalmist says, how long will I, will I soak my pillow with tears? In other words, there are times when we're in harmony with God and led to pray a certain way, and we pray, and miraculous things happen. But there's also a world in which we live with hardship, pain, difficulty, and often we persevere in prayer for years and years before we see things answered. And other times we pray, and we don't know why we don't get the answer, but God will give us enough tokens of his goodness and grace and enough assurance from his word that even when we don't see answers, we can trust him and we can understand, as I address in the chapter, does prayer really work? And I give verse after verse after verse that mm -hmm. seems like push your button, get your miracle, that the biggest purpose of prayer is not just getting prayers answered, but developing a relationship with God. How can I become a deeper, better person, knowing God better, living a godlier life through this? 
and then developing fellowship with God so I can I can help others as well. So it's it's not as simple as it seems. I don't throw out miracles for today. I don't throw out healing for today. That, that to me is the easy answer. Just, well, it doesn't happen, get over it. No, these things do happen, but in this world, we live with a certain holy tension. We, we've just got to be honest and say, there are many amazing promises, and we'll see many of them realized in this world, and many others we won't. That's why we have to know God for ourselves, that we can learn to trust him through the dark times. You know, it's also interesting that there, I was just reading from Mark 11, you go a little bit further in Mark, and I believe this is recorded in Mark, where Jesus says, Father, if it is your will, have this cup pass from me, but if not, your, if, if not my will, your will. And so Jesus prayed for a mountain to be moved there, that he wouldn't have to go to the cross, and yet he still had to go, Mike. You know, yeah, I we, mean, we, we don't have much of a theology of suffering in the American no, church. No. And, and, and I'm not saying that because God loves you, he's going to strike you with cancer or kill your children in a car accident. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying there's a lot of mystery in this world. Mm. There are a lot of unexplained things. And when we try to just put everything in a tidy little package, you know, Frank, to be honest, I think sometimes we do that because our own faith is not deep enough. I, I feel sometimes we don't want anyone to raise difficult questions because it's going to throw us. We right. should be secure enough and solid enough in the Lord. And I'm not saying this to condemn. I'm saying this is an invitation from the Lord. Whatever we go through, we know that we know he's faithful. That's real faith. That's right. And there's a lot more to this that we're going to unpack after the break with my guest, Dr. Michael Brown. AskDrBrown.org. AskDrBrown.org. The book is called Has God Failed You? Brand new, just a month or two old. You definitely want to get it. I'm Frank Turek. I'm a lot more with Dr. Brown in just a minute. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network website, crossexamined.org. It's crossexamined with a D on the end of it.org. Got a couple of online courses coming up in the next few weeks. One is Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. I'll be leading that. And a fun mini course called Why Can't You Be Normal Just Like Me has to do with personality differences. I use personality profiles when I was doing corporate training. It is a lot of fun if you want to be a part of that. Or either of those courses, go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. They both begin in August. And if you sign up for the premium version, we'll be together on Zoom interacting. My guest today is, Do is Dr. Michael Brown. As you know, Dr. Brown's been on this program several times. He has his own daily radio program called Line of Fire. His website, askdrbrown.org, written a number of great books, Can You Be Gay and Christian? The, all the books on Old Testament prophecy, answering Jewish objections to those. This newest book, is called Has God Failed You? And, and Mike, you've got a whole chapter here on Job. Now, you've written a whole commentary on Job. You've translated Job because you're a Hebrew scholar as well. And let me just read a section from, from what you wrote here, and then you can comment on it. You're quoting another Old Testament scholar who says this, the Job speeches, when Job is giving speeches in his book, depict a God who is not merely amoral, but actively immoral, the omnipotent tyrant, the cosmic thug, unquote. And then you write this. How then could God possibly say that Job had spoken rightly of him? And in what sense did the friends of Job fail to speak what was right concerning the Lord? Unpack that for us, Mike. That's, that's a, when I read that, I went, wow. Yeah, so we, we, 
we know the book of Job, this ideally righteous man, a man God says, there's nobody like him on the earth, fearing God, departing from evil. He's super blessed. He's the wealthiest, greatest man in the East. And then Satan challenges God and says, yeah, yeah, he's just doing that for all the benefits. He serves you for the benefits. You take that away, he'll curse you to your face. So that starts this massive cosmic trial that's lived out on the earth. Job loses everything. He praises God nonetheless. And then his friends come to comfort him. And basically, Job starts to bemoan his situation, curses the day he was born. And the friends start off, look, Job, you know, you're hurt a little bit here, but God's, God's testing you. He's disciplining you. He saw some problems. He wants to make you more righteous. Job pushes back like, my 10 kids did not die because of some problem in my life. Don't throw that at me. And the, the more he talks like that, the angrier the friends get. They're convinced, they're convinced Job must have committed some terrible sin. That's mm. why this happened. Simple theology. He was super blessed before because he was super righteous. Now he's lost everything. All of his possessions, his kids have died. He himself is sick. What does that mean? He's super wicked. That's it. Initially, they thought, well, he had some issues. God was dealing with it. But the more he gets angry, the clearer it is. Job, you're suffering because you're a sinner. Job, for his part, knows he doesn't deserve this. That, that, that he was really loving God and serving God, and that now to lose everything, that he's suffering as if he was terribly wicked. So he has only one conclusion, something wrong with God. The friends mm -hmm. say, Job, something wrong with you. Job says, no, there's something wrong with God. And, 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 and he really, he, he gets angry with God. You know, one Old mm -hmm. Testament scholar said, if, if you want to file a complaint against God, the forms are already there, filled out in advance in the Old Testament, especially yeah, see, in the book of Job. It, 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 it almost seems like like what this this Old Testament scholar who they quoted here that said God is is immoral, he's a tyrant. It sounds like Richard Dawkins, you know the famous Dawkins yeah. quote, which you quote in the front of your book. So how can that yeah, be, it, Mike? <laughs> yeah. So so Job rails against God. You're a monster. You don't care where there's injustice in the world. You're behind it. But then he also appeals to God, as some have said, he runs from God to God. Some of you out there say, yeah, I understand. You know, he runs from God to God. And in the midst of it, he says, I know my Redeemer lives. I know there's ultimately going to be justice. And then at the end of the book, you know, it goes back and forth. Another friend appears, he speaks, and then God speaks to Job. And, and we can unpack what God says, you know, we can come back to that. But then Job humbles himself. And he says, I, I spoke ignorantly. I, I, I put my hand on my mouth. That was bad. And then mm -hmm. God speaks some more. And Job gets even lower. And then when he's done repenting, this is the remarkable verse that we're talking about here. In Job chapter 42, verses 6 and 7, God says, I'm angry with the three friends, the ones who were saying God is good, Job is bad. Job is suffering what he deserves. God is always good. God says, I'm angry with the three friends because Why? they didn't speak yeah. what was right about me as my servant Job did. He calls Job his servant three times and says he spoke what was right about me. So say, how could that be if, if he yeah, called right. God immoral and a tyrant? Ah, so here's the thing. On the one hand, he spoke out of place and God rebukes him for it and he humbles himself. On the other hand, and this is incredible raw grit of, of the book of Job, Job is saying, I know that there is a God who brings justice. I, I know that there is a God who's good. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm almost challenging this God to show himself because the way I'm being treated is contrary to that. In other words, 
there was a great statement of faith because ultimately what Job was experiencing was the malice of Satan. You know, Job was not touched by God, but Satan did these horrific things. And ultimately, either in this world or in the world to come, God does bring about justice. God does bring about relief to suffering. God does set things right. If not in this world, then in the world to come. So on a certain level, Job, speaking from the heart, spoke more rightly about God. Yeah, he spoke out of turn. He, he was arrogant. He was ignorant. But he also knew there's got to be justice in God's universe. Somehow this God must do what is right, which is true. And the friends, with their narrow, simple theology, the wicked are cursed, the righteous are blessed, they did not, they spoke from the head with superficial theology, and they did not speak rightly about God. It's the complete reversal that you weren't expecting. I'm still confused, though, because if Job basically called him an immoral, omnipotent tyrant, are you saying that's not true because it was really Satan that did it and uh, God just allowed it for a reason? Or how, how, how can Job get away with calling God an omnipotent tyrant, in effect? Well, he gets rebuked for, for several chapters by God himself. Uh -huh. and God challenges him. Who are you? You, right. you don't even know, Job, you don't even know how wild goats mate and, and, and how long conception is. And so you, you can't tell me about the plot of land where no human beings go, and yet I water that so the plants grow. Who in the world do you think you are, Job, to tell me how to run my universe? So mm. it's a very strong rebuke to Job. And he realizes, I spoke ignorant. I have got no right to ever accuse God. I've got no right to speak evil about God, whether God allowed Satan to do it or did it himself. Either way, Job spoke with, with ignorance. At the same time, Job spoke with great faith because he ultimately knew that, that what he was experiencing was not the real reflection of the goodness and grace of God. That, that for mm. example, forever and ever and ever, God is not going to sentence us to hell because he loves us. Forever and ever and ever, he's not going to torture us and torment us because he loves us. But that's what it seemed at that moment. Here, Job seeking to please God with all of his being, and as a result, he gets tortured and all his kids die. He knew that that, that did not ultimately reflect the nature of God, the purposes of God. So there, there are many mysteries in this world. One of the, the lessons of Job is that sometimes inexplicable things happen to God's people, to godly people. God mm. forbid we do what the friends did. Well, you wouldn't have gotten in a car wreck. Your kid wouldn't have gotten killed if you went to my church. God forbid mm. we think thoughts like that. And God forbid right. we do what Job did. Well, you must be an evil, monstrous God because my kid got cancer. No, God remains a good God. And if we will trust him through the process, even through the loss, will come out seeing his goodness in a thousand different ways. In fact, as you mentioned in the book, and we've mentioned several times on this show, we couldn't even be complaining about evil unless God existed, because without God, there is no such thing as evil. Everything. In fact, you start the book out that way, Mike. This book called Has God Failed You? You talk about materialism and how it can't explain reason, it can't explain evil, good or evil. Because if we're just molecular machines, moist robots, there's no such thing as good or evil. Good can only exist if God exists, and evil, therefore, can only exist if God exists because evil is a privation or a lack in good. So when we complain about evil in the world, we're actually admitting there's a God. Evil doesn't disprove God. It may prove there's a devil out there. And so this chapter on Job I really enjoyed, Mike. And again, the book is called 
has God failed you? You wanted to add something to that? I see you leaning in. Yeah, you well, say- you know, you're, you're, you're stealing from God book, which I uh-huh. had the pleasure of writing an endorsement for. I mean, you lay it out so brilliantly. That, that's what convicted C.S. Lewis as an atheist, as we know, right? That, that he's railing against this God that doesn't exist right. because of all the injustice, saying, where did I get a sense of justice? There is no such thing as injustice if there mm-hmm. is no God. There is no that's problem right. of evil if there's no God. And, and early on in the book, I have a whole chapter. Okay, let's... Let's just work this out. You're disappointed, you're hurting, you're wondering, okay, what if there is no God? Let's, let's mm. think through that universe. And ultimately, there can be no sense of purpose. There can be no destiny. Whatever tragic loss you pass through has, has no meaning. There is nothing, there is nothing to come out of that of any type of eternal significance. We are just passing through this world. It's survival of the fittest. There's no problem of evil when a lion eats a zebra. There's no problem of evil when your prayers aren't answered and the wicked person triumphs. And ultimately, Frank, I think most people deep down feel there's got to be more. Even if they're not people of faith, they, they have a sense that there must be meaning in life or they want to make the world a better place. Is that just survival of the fittest? The compassion we have on the poor and the needy and wanting to help them? Is that survival of the fittest? If it was, we should just bury them, get them out of the way. Instead, that compassion, that sense of love, meaning, purpose, destiny, it's because we're creating God's image. So let's let's start there and say, okay, let a little hope rise inside of you. Let let a ray of hope rise, because a lot of people don't want their faith to be hurt again. They don't want to be disappointed again. Well, what's the alternative? An alternative where nothing can ever be redeemed for good, where nothing can be turned around for, for a holy and positive destiny, because such things are categories that don't exist anymore. Yes, and the book, again, I'm talking to Dr. Michael Brown, is Has God Failed You?, and this book covers a lot of ground. We're covering just a little bit. We just covered a, a, a couple of points here. But uh, in fact, Mike, you get into the whole transgender issue, the, the, the gay issue. People are struggling with that. And after the break, we're coming up to a break right now. I want to dive into that. I want to ask you when we come back from the break, Mike, uh, what would you say to a group of young kids who are, say, junior high, high school kids who are are enticed by the transgender ideology because I just came from a church where about half the half the kids in the youth group are now claiming different pronouns and what do mm. you say? How can you mm. reel them back into reality? I'm going to talk to Dr. Michael Brown about that right after the break. And if you think God has failed you, you need to get the book Has God Failed You uh, by my guest, Dr. Michael Brown. AskDrBrown.org. Our website is crossexamine.org, and this program is I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist on the American Family Radio Network, and we are back in two minutes. Don't go anywhere. If you like this radio program and podcast called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, please do me a favor. Go on up to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and put a positive five-star review up there. It will help more people see it and hear it which is what we want. We want more people to hear the truth. That's our intent anyway. So please do that if you don't mind. My guest today is Dr. Michael Brown. His new book is called Has God Failed You? And Mike, as I said, just before the break, I was uh, at a church this uh, past weekend and the 
folks that work in the youth group said, so many of our kids here in the youth group are identifying with this transgender ideology. I know part of that is motivated, probably most of it is motivated by peer pressure and they get attention when they say, oh, I'm trans or here's my new pronoun or here's my new gender, whatever that means. Uh, you have a couple of chapters in the book, Has God Failed You? The first one is called, Is the Bible an Outdated and Bigoted Book? Part one. So before we get to the transgender issue, what do you say to people who say, Mike, you're a bigot. You're believing in bigoted stuff. So what I want to do, of course, is not just say, well, I'm not a bigot, because that doesn't really help. <laughs> Have a nice say, day. Okay, well, let's, <laughs> let's first take a look at what the biblical authors said about God. And you say, why do I want to do it? Well, when you start reading the descriptions of his goodness, of his mercy, of his care for the widow, for the orphan, for the needy, and that over and over and over he's presented in these terms that, that when someone reads it, they say that, if that's true, that would be wonderful. In other words, that, that type of a being sounds like a wonderful being. Okay, so I want to start and say, that's the one that I love. And that ultimately... He, he showed us who he is by sending his son to die for the crimes and the misdeeds that you and I committed. So that, let's, let's focus on the big picture of who this God is. And now let's look at specific details. For example, let's look at what, what the Bible says about the Canaanites and the driving out of the Canaanites. You know, that, that comes up a lot. And, and Frank, I'm sure you've seen this because of the decades you've been doing apologetics. Josh McDowell said that the objections he used to deal with with kids on college campuses in their 20s, he's now encountering with kids who are 12 or 13. So the yeah, stuff because of the internet. Were, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff yeah. you were taking on with, with uh, Christopher Hitchens mm -hmm. and, and Richard Dawkins and Sam Harrison and others, these ideological issues you're tackling on the college campuses, they've trickled down to the larger society. They've mm -hmm. trickled down just to the person on the street and to the kid who's got a meme, a really cool meme. And, that, mm -hmm. and, and now you've got someone who hasn't even thought the issue through, and they've got a little soundbite. So we need our quick soundbite. Like you got tons of those, right? And now, okay, let's unpack that. So let's look at these things in depth. What, did God uh, call his people to commit genocide? Let's see what the Bible actually says. And when you begin to unpack it, what you discover is that people who were really wicked and who were really deserving judgment, you know, we think of ISIS today, and when we hear that mm. an ISIS stronghold was taken down, we're glad to hear it because that means that innocent lives will be spared. When, when, when the Allies defeated the Nazis, we say that's a good thing because they were evil, wicked people. Well, the Bible says that the people living in the land of Canaan were evil and wicked, and yet God waited hundreds of years to deal with them. You say, well, what was Israel doing? Israel, that was supposed to get that land, was suffering in Egypt. They were in slavery. So they were suffering, and God let them keep suffering because the, the wickedness had not reached a point yet where God could justify driving the people out or, or killing people, uh, putting them to death. So when you, when you dig in deeper, rather than this being some cavalier thing, this is something only as a last resort and only after waiting for several hundred years, longer than the history of America, God waited before he dealt with them. And it's, it's basically like someone with gangrene in a limb, and it's spreading through the body, and the cutting off of that limb is saving a life. Because God requires, when you read these same accounts, God says you have to treat the alien kindly. 
and you and you have to remember the slave because you were slaves yourselves. So when you dig deeper, you see that the God of the Bible is, is not the way Dawkins presented him as some type of moral monster or the most unpleasant character in, in all of fiction, to use Dawkins' famous words. Rather, he's long-suffering, he's compassionate, but he's also a God of justice. And if you ask someone, do you think justice is ever a good and right thing? Do you think that wicked people should ever be punished? Well, Scripture agrees, but only with great compassion, long-suffering mercy. So let's talk it through. Why do you think I'm a bigot? Why, why do you hold this view? Let's see what Scripture actually says. And you point out, uh, I love the point you made there about the Nazis and ISIS, Mike, because I hear so many atheists uh, on one hand saying, why doesn't God stop evil? And then when he does, <laughs> they're complaining about that too. And it was similar. The Canaanite culture was, they were murdering their young children, as you know as you point out in the book, and again, the book is called Has God Failed You? Finding Faith When You're Not Even Sure God is Real by Dr. Michael Brown. Uh, Mike, now the issues that kids are struggling with more than any are the sexual issues. And so much, is the, yep. so much of this is driven by social media, as you well know. There's been more than a 4,000% increase in the UK, for example, of kids claiming, girls claiming to be transgender now, just in the last several years. This didn't come out of the blue if it wasn't for social media. And as I said, I was at a church just this past weekend and they were saying so many of their kids are buying into this. If you could stand in front of these kids and uh, talk to them about this, what would you say? Well, first I'd start with some stories. I'd introduce them to people like, like Laura Perry, who had a complete hysterectomy, who had a complete mastectomy so she could feel more like the boy that she thought she was, who lived like uh, by the name Jacob, Jake, for years, for like nine, ten years before realizing that that was not the key. And now all the regret of what she did to her body. I, I'd introduce her to others who've had sex change surgery, uh, young people, you know, 20 years old and saying it was a terrible, terrible mistake. So let them hear stories because we're going to relate to stories a lot more than statistics. Let, let them understand that. Let them even hear, you know, what more and more doctors are saying, like, what, we need to slow this whole process down. And, and, and then, because a lot of kids are doing this in solidarity. Now, some, especially teenage girls, already with body dysmorphia, not at home in their bodies and going through changes. And now they're told it's all due to the fact that you're really a boy in a girl's body. And especially those who are autistic, this just statistically found that, that in whole groups, they're coming out and saying they're trans. But for many others, it's a solidarity issue. In other words, they think that God hates gays. They think the Bible is, is against their, their bisexual friend or their trans friend. And he's a nice kid. She's a nice kid. Why should I hate them? So what we need to say is, hey, let's step back and do this. And, and I would really get into design and purpose. You know what? Maybe they're into ecology and preserving Mother Earth. And so you talk about all the meticulous ways God made everything and set everything up. And then from there, and this is what I do in the book, I get into the human body. And how amazingly we're designed. And they're, they're with you up to, in other words, they're in agreement, agreement. This is all good stuff and amazing and wow. And then how he made us male and how he made us female. And how every gene in our body basically fits into this system. You know, that there, there are more than 6,000 things that differentiate a male from a female genetically. And, and then the purpose and the function 
I, I did a talk at a Christian school that, that my kids, uh, grandkids went to for middle schoolers and high schoolers. So it was, it was quite a mix. And I started by saying, you know, I'm going to try to work on my cell phone with my elbow. You know, I can't really do that. And just went through ideas of function and purpose. And okay, why did God make men the way he did? Why did he make women the way he did? Try to make them to understand that. And then, by God's grace, get to the deeper confusion and pain that's in the, uh, on the inside of him. Tell him, all you're doing is going to add to that pain and add to the confusion. And then bring them back to the stories and then show them the trajectory. Look at where this goes. Look at the madness, the craziness. And uh, I, I spoke with a pastor who's doing a conference call for leaders a few weeks ago. And he said something very similar to what you're saying. He said, in our Christian school, all of the middle schoolers bought into transgender ideology. And he said, so we had them all watch the movie in his image that American Family Studios did. I, I hosted that for them. Yeah. And they said, he said, after watching it, everyone changed their views and went back to a biblical view. So somehow hmm. the stories, the sound theology, the, the being created in his image, the difference between men and women, hopefully it'll help the light to go off in their hearts and minds. Well, that's great advice. What is the name of that, that, um, that documentary again? In, in his image and anyone can in watch it, go to in his image movie or in his image, move the movie on, on YouTube. It's free to watch. It's incredibly powerful. It, it won the award for the top evangelistic uh, documentary of, of the last year. And it's, it's really powerful. And those stories, you know, Walt Heyer, whom we both know, Sex yep. Change Regret. I'd also send the kids, go to sexchangeregret.com. Read those mm. stories. Hear, hear the, the pain, the heartache. You know, there's a young gal in the UK now, and, and she is taking physicians to court saying, you did not adequately warn me, and you did not adequately vet me. And now for life... I've got partly male features as a female. Now for life, my voice is going to sound a little different and I'm going to have to shave and I'm not fully developed as a female because you put me on hormone blockers and you said that's the thing to do. And, and when you hear enough of these frightful stories, real life stories, you think, what on earth are we doing? I saw your column recently about L the LA Times, the spa situation out there can you just relate what happened there just just briefly mike we got about a minute and a half for the break but that so there is the transanity that's going on go ahead there's a man who identifies as a woman and he goes into the women's part of the spa where you have women and their daughters sitting in jacuzzis and things like that he comes in there naked you can a full frontal nudity in front of the mothers and daughters and girls and when they go to complain to the spa, the spa says, there's nothing we can do about it because he has rights as she has rights as transgender. And the L.A. Times said, you don't always have a right to be comfortable. Just accept the fact that this is going to be happening. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. I mean, ultimate social madness. You have to ask the kids, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about Johnny coming into your locker room after sports? And, and Johnny is a boy who identifies as a girl. How do you feel about that? The reality, at some point, we have to be hit with the reality. So what I, what I show on Has God Failed You, it's nothing to do with bigotry. I care about trans people. I've read about it so much and talked to enough that my heart goes out deeply. I can't imagine the pain. It's not bigotry. It's saying, 
God has a better way. Please, mm -hmm. let's help these people from the inside out rather than disfigure them and maim them for life. That's Dr. Michael Brown. His book, Has God Failed You? Finding Faith When You're Not Even Sure God Is Real. And by the way, if God is not real, there are no rights to anything, including no transgender rights, unless God exists, ladies and gentlemen. We always have to go back to that. We've got one more segment with Dr. Michael Brown. Ask drbrown.org. Check him out there. I'm Frank Turek. We're back in just two minutes. If you're anywhere near Anchorage, Alaska, I hope to see you this weekend at Anchorage Baptist Temple. I'll be there for the Sunday school and morning service. Uh, the following week, I'll be down at Bayside Community Church in uh, near Sarasota, Florida. And uh, on Wednesday, August 4th, I will be at uh, Grace Community Church for a Skeptics Night. My friend Chip Bennett, the pastor there. Check all the details out on our website, crossexamined.org, crossexamined with a D on the end of it.org. Look at events, Frank Turk calendar, you'll see it all there. And then I'll see those of you who are coming to CIA out at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, uh, right after that. Uh, we're fill, filled up there, so you can't join that now. But uh, check the calendar out for a lot more. And my friend, Dr. Michael Brown, he keeps a speaking schedule up as well. Mike, where are you going to be speaking next? Where can people see you if you're going to be uh, out there? I'm next going to be in Lafayette, Louisiana, uh, this uh, this coming uh -huh. weekend. So that's next. But on the website, sdrbrown.org, they can look at itinerary. But hey, that was brilliant planning from Alaska to Florida. That's, that's yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we're I'll going to see my. Go ahead. Yeah, Go. yeah, I'll, I'll, um, yeah just thinking some other places. Uh, I'll be with uh, folks at, at Grace uh, Grace Chapel in uh, Franklin, Tennessee. That'll be next month. Uh -huh. And uh, back and forth in Texas a few times, a few other places, Florida as well. So it's all on the itinerary. Now, you're on the radio every single day at what time? And people can listen to it online. How do they do that? Yes. Yeah, so if they just go to AskDrBrown.org, it's 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. And then American Family Radio airs uh, on Sunday afternoons, a couple of the shows as well. But uh, they can just download an app uh, for Apple, for Android. They can listen uh, on their phone live. It'll come up there. We do a live stream on Facebook and YouTube, but that's all linked at the website. So askdrbrown.org, and then they can listen, they can watch whatever their, their hearts uh, desire. You know, so much of what we think about God, Mike, depends on expectations. Like we expect God to do something, and when it doesn't happen, sometimes we say, well, God doesn't exist. What kind of false expectations do you think people have about God uh, a misunderstanding about God that causes them to go, this God doesn't exist, or if he does, he doesn't care about me. Yeah, well, one is that if, if I'm a good person, that only good things will happen to me. Or if I'm a good Christian, then only good things will happen to me. Uh, or that anything that I ask God for in prayer, that he's somehow honor-bound to, to do that. Those are some of the expectations. Kind of the, the American dream baptized into the gospel. And it works right. very well in America, you know, that, that mm. we just follow Jesus and everything goes well. You're always going to prosper on your job. You're never going to have to deal with sickness. You won't have any accidents. That, that It's just perpetual blessing in the most natural sense of the word. And we should just expect that, which is why I wrote a whole chapter in the book, but perhaps it's wrong theology that failed you. And you know, mm. Frank, I, I believe that in praying for the sick, I believe that God works miracles today. When I talk with atheists, I, I bring in the evidence of miracles as, as part of, 
of, of experience and faith. At the same time, I realize I've prayed for many people with cancer over the years, and very few have been healed, and others mm-hmm. have tried. Those that were terminal died, tragically. Right. That's the reality. Now, but I have seen some miracles, and it's amazing, and I'm going to rejoice in those. But if I just think, well, every time I do it, there's going to be a miracle, and it doesn't happen, or you'll never have problems. If you raise your kids a certain way, you'll never have difficulties. You just It always works within a certain little religious formula. And then you have to ask, well, why does God put the book of Job in the Bible? And why so many Psalms of Lamentations? And then why, if you have Proverbs basically laying it out that, that it goes well for the, for the righteous and poorly for the wicked, you know, general life principles, right? So just like when mm-hmm. you're doing getting health insurance, they want to know, do you drink? Do you, are you a stunt, right. a Hollywood stunt man? <laughs> you know, what, you what's smoke? your job? Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Because that, that percentage wise, they know that one thing leads to health and another doesn't. So Proverbs lays those things out. The path of wisdom is the path of life. But then in the wisdom of God, Ecclesiastes is there too, where he's wondering about everything and questioning, does it really work? Is it that simple? And then you put it all together and realize, hey, fear God, keep his commandments. That is the way to live, but it's not always so simple. And if we have this push-button theology, which is especially prevalent in America and in the charismatic church of America, of which I'm a part, we can be specially prone to the superficial theology. And then with the modern American gospel, which is all about me, God is here to please me and fulfill theology. my dreams. Yeah, yeah it, it's a meology, right? To make me into yeah. a bigger and better me. Now you right. add that in, and 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 you you well, look. We see it all the time. Somebody we hear they just got born again. They're a Christian now. They're following Jesus, and then you follow them on social media the next year and think that's the most vulgar person I've ever seen. That's the most mm-hmm. ungodly person. But they intersperse Jesus with it because he's the magical formula you add in to have a better life, as opposed to the one to whom we come because we are hopelessly lost sinners and we deserve eternal judgment. And we come to him now to be received forgiveness and to give our lives to him unconditionally, come what may. What do you think, John, I mean, not John, what do you think James was saying there? He says in James 5, if someone's sick, have the elders come, anoint him with oil, and the prayer of a righteous person will heal him. Yet on the other hand, James talks about in James 1, uh, if you fall into various trials, rejoice because, you know, trials are going to produce patience and patience is going to produce maturity. So, there's no guarantee of healing, but it almost seems like he's saying it. Yet, on the other hand, in James 1, he's saying, yeah, you're going you're gonna to have trouble. How do, we, how do we reconcile that, Dr. Brown? Well, number one, a lot of the trouble that the New Testament talks about is trouble for the faith, persecution, opposition for the faith. So we're promised mm-hmm. that. And, yeah, and look, right. I, would ra- I would rather have a cold. I'd rather catch a cold than be uh, tortured and whipped in prison. You know, I'd, I'd rather sure. have the cold. Than the other. Yeah. So in, other okay. words, in other words, often suffering for the gospel is really bad, really severe suffering, mm-hmm. even, even to the point of death. And then just trouble living in this world. It's a fallen world. We're trying to honor God and do the right thing. There's going to be opposition, trouble. And then we live with fellow human beings. So someone's mm-hmm. going to hurt us or we're going to hurt them. Uh, and then there are the things that just happen to us in this world, sickness, disease, part of it. So we are going to be tested. And, and the testing, depending on how to respond to it, can make us stronger. It can make us, it can break us. At the same time, I do believe in praying for the sick. In other words, it's there. Nobody changed it. And what we would understand, you're, you're going to the person. So it's not just I caught a cold. There, there's some level of serious sickness. And my, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what the Word of God says. 
and and ask him for for blessing for healing believing that healing is a good thing i wrote my doctoral dissertation on the hebrew word for healing so i i believe in these things i'm going to do it if i don't see results i'm going to continue to do it because it's in scripture i'm going to try to build my own faith in terms of greater expectation knowing that we will see miracles and we will see god do gracious things but in this world we're gonna have trouble so if it's not sick this is going to be something else it's going to be some bad boss that we work with. It's it's mm-hmm. it's going to be it's going to be persecution for the faith. It's going to be a financial obstacle. It's going to be dealing with our own flesh and our own sin. There's going to be we are going to go through this world with opposition, and yet with God we are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from His love. And what's the very first thing Paul puts in that list in Romans eight? Tribulation, testing. Is mm. that going to separate us? Yeah. Nah, not even famine. Nah. So look. I work with believers around the world. I get emails regularly from one of our missionaries in Nigeria, and Christians are getting slaughtered there. And, and, and then believers I know, you know, folks in China, they've had to go completely underground. It's really, really getting difficult in many parts of the world to be a follower of Jesus. We have no business thinking that we'll be exempt from suffering here in America. No, in fact, uh, my brother-in-law, Jim, who had cancer 21 years ago, had it returned just this past month or so. And uh, we anointed him with oil and prayed for him. And uh, he's now getting cancer treatment down in Florida. Uh, the first time he went through it, he became a Christian. Now he's going through it again. He's just turned 60 years old. So our, uh, I pray that our listeners would pray for him. His name is Jim. And uh, he's my brother-in-law, married to my sister. Uh, and it's causing him and all of us to really look at the scriptures again and to, mm-hmm. and to really see what comes out of this and how perseverance through this can build faith and hope and love and bring the family closer together. Of course, we're praying yeah. for healing, but we also, of course. we also know that God is God and his, his will will be done. And, and let's think of this. Healing is a wonderful thing. Healing is an expression yeah. of, of divine compassion, and it glorifies God around the world. The gospel spreads through healing and miracles. People hear the gospel, they pray, especially mm-hmm. in, in, in the, the virgin soil where, where people are finding out about Jesus for the first time. So it's beautiful and wonderful, but rather than give a cheap answer, either it's always going to happen if you have enough faith or, right. hey, it doesn't happen anymore. I give the biblical answer, which is we live with holy tension. That's the reality mm-hmm. in this world. And there's a whole chapter called Permission to Doubt. Jude, verse 22, have mercy on those who doubt. There's a doubt that's sinful because we should know better and we should be trusting God and we don't and we're double-minded. But there's another doubt, like the man in John 9, his son having seizures, he says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I want to encourage folks to be honest with God. Do you think God doesn't know when we're, mm-hmm. we're being superficial and duplicitous? God, I really believe you. He sees our hearts anyway. Why not be honest? Why not? Maybe you're a pastor. Why not get along with God and say, God, I don't even know if you're there. I've been preaching for 20 years, but I don't even. Okay, be honest. Start there. God's not going to be hurt by our honesty. And sometimes that's our biggest problem in the church. We don't have an environment where people can be honest, where young people can come with their questions, where, where a kid can tell his parents or her parents, I don't know if I believe the Bible the way you do, Mommy. Okay, let's talk about it. They're, that's a good and, thing and, and if look, they say that because then you can address it. Yeah. Yes, Most of the time exactly. they don't say a word. They go off to college or even before college and they've already checked out. Yeah. Exactly. And then you, and then call you in afterwards, Frank, to pick up the pieces. So yeah, one of it. the reasons <laughs> for writing the book is to say, let's create an environment of safety and honesty 
where, where you can come with your doubts, your pain, your questions, where we can study Scripture together. Look, I'm an expert in one area of apologetics. You're an expert in another. But I'm not an expert, say, in, in science and apologetics and philosophy and apologetics. But I know John Lennox is out there. And I know William mm -hmm. Lane Craig is out there. So I know there are solid answers. And whatever someone's hit with, that's what we need to do. Even if you don't have the answer, pastor, youth pastor, someone comes to you, say, hey, we'll get the answers because God is true. And one place you can get the answers is this great new book by my guest today, Dr. Michael Brown. The book is called, called Has God Failed You? Finding Faith When You're Not Even Sure God Is Real. Mike, always a pleasure having you on. Thanks so much. Thank you, Frank. My joy. That is Dr. Michael Brown. AskDrBrown.org. Go there and go to crossexamine.org to see my calendar. Uh, and I'll see you here next week. God bless.